0: So you're not good at sports. It's a very small part of life.
1: Sports, 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 sports. Bart rides up in the front seat today because he's a good guy at sports. Welcome to Flipping Tables, a podcast about technology, gaming, and culture. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Edwards.
0: And I'm David Lyons.
1: And as always, you can find show notes and comments and other stuff at our website, FlippingTablesPodcast.com slash 027 for this episode. Woo. Um, so today...
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think quickly, we just have to... We've been ripping on Twitter a lot, but...
1: So, more. So, yeah,
0: so what... <laughs> tell us what happened, Mike.
1: So Twitter decided that they haven't intruded enough. There's promoted <laughs> tweets. There's extra mobile notifications for every random thing the people you follow, which is different than your friends, because a lot of people use Twitter as an RSS feed of sorts. It's true. Um, just That's what I do. So they already started annoying us by saying five other people started following this sixth person. Well, today, if that wasn't enough. Twitter is now putting other people's favorites into your timeline. and Which
0: seems like they didn't really declare that in any way. So yeah. what you're going to end up with is a bunch of people who have no idea that their favorites are essentially retweets. So but my, sometimes.
1: My biggest problem no. with this is... Unlike, like, I think some people think of favorite as sort of like the Facebook like or something or plus yeah, some, one. Some people do, but, but that's other only, people use it as like a bookmark. Yeah, it's only one of its meanings. Yes. And so, like, if I'm just saving articles for later, it doesn't mean shove this in my followers' faces.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is exactly why back in the day I started using a read it later service pocket, actually, over uh favoriting stuff because favorites are at least at the time they were public. I don't can you hide favorites? I don't think you can.
1: You it's it's a whole account setting is private or not.
0: Yeah, so your favorites are basically public and I didn't want to be sending that message that yeah. it was like favoriting and then later unfavoriting all these things cuz to me that was like oh you liked it and then you read the article and then you didn't or mm-hmm. like why would you do that? So And I know a lot of people use it that way, but I was like, I don't want to be involved in the favorite button. I never favorite anything. I mean, it's very, very rare. Well, in
1: some people, it's like, I'm not retweeting you, but I'm acknowledging what you said. Yes. Or it's, I'm done talking. I'm not going to reply to you, but good work.
0: Favorite. Yes. Which is fine. I mean, I don't have any problem with it. I do have a problem with it being a fake retweet. Yeah. Especially because it's not even consistent. It's not like, you know, if you plus one something, people see what you plus one or you like something. People see what you liked. It's you favorite something and maybe they see it. secret sauce. Yeah. Sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess I'll. OK, let me be fair and say that plus wanting something doesn't automatically show it to everyone. Liking something doesn't automatically show it to everyone, but it's known that those things are public.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. it's not six years after yeah. everyone has settled into how they use it.
0: Yeah, so it's really, it's not the behavior, it's the change in behavior. Yeah. If they added a new button that was like, read it later, sometimes we'll share your read it laters with other people, yeah. then no one would really give a crap but it's changing the existing behavior. It's just, ugh.
1: So I'm just wondering how far this goes before, because one of the things that's always been what I like about Twitter is it's my timeline. Yes. Like, I picked who I follow, and that thing is filled with stuff I chose to receive. Yep. And more and more, every new feature seems geared towards injecting just a little more monetized content.
0: Well, for me, it's been that, I can't – first off, there are no good ways to sync read position between services. For another thing, on the mobile app, you can't tell it to load at the top of the timeline. So you have to just hope that when you open it, it's about where you left it so that you can keep your read position, which is why I only ever check Twitter on my phone because (laughs) if I go to my tablet or on the internet, I don't have the same read position so it's like not only are they injecting crap, but they're making it harder for me to keep chronological order. Like with Google Plus, I've given up on the fact that everything's not perfectly in chronological order, but they never made that promise. <laughs> yeah. Twitter sold me something and is now like, eh, maybe not.
1: <laughs> so it's annoying. Yeah. And-
0: I want my curated chronological list. Like to me that's what Twitter is. Yeah.
1: So that's follow up. Twitter continues to do bad things.
0: I just, I'm I'm happy with this note in the the rundown. It says the jerks at Twitter ride right again. <laughs> I figure that sends a really clear reminder about what they did, and you guys are jerks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so today, let's talk about ComCat. No, I'm just kidding. No,
0: nope. <laughs> we could, but we're not going to because we're better than that. So. Actually, we we
1: found a couple topics yesterday that we almost had an episode off air about <laughs> that did. I hope we still have enough juice to talk about. <laughs> we but can do it. We are strong. The, the first one's my favorite. Um, there's this new baseball bat coming out, or it's out or something, gaining steam, that is based on the axe handle. So it's handle. Most baseball bats are, like, perfectly symmetrical. Yeah, um, it's
0: it's just a cylinder. Yeah, it's just
1: a cylinder. I mean, it you know, thicker and thinner and different parts, but it's... taper. Yeah, there's a taper. <laughs> but apparently the axe bat using older axe handle style technology is lets batters hit far, farther and uh, yeah, doesn't a, injure their hands. It's a
0: better transfer of power because it doesn't rotate and because of the way it sits in the hand is superior. So there's a, a link in the show notes to this, this Mashable article. Basically, I love the way the guy came up with the idea. Because the guy who came up with the idea, he's a big baseball fan. He was chopping a tree down and he was bored. So he was imagining that he was swinging for a home run every time he had to swing at the tree. It's like that's – I really hope the true story is not any more complicated than that. <laughs> that's feels a dream. It basically is. It's like – that's like a movie cliche like – I just had this aha moment. not wait for the biopic. Yeah, there was no – it took him like two hours to build the first prototype because he already knew how to do the woodworking. It's not a revolutionary design. I mean we've had axe handles for – Longer long, than always. we've had baseball bats. So. Yeah, by like a lot. <laughs> so it's – I mean that's awesome. And then you know, actual scientists did like actual research on it and were like, yeah, this is actually pretty much better in all ways. <laughs> yeah. So – and this is – I think this is really what the conversation came down to. is Like, does this count as as augmenting technology, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, you can't use a metal bat in the big leagues. Right. Well, I mean, I think this is a pretty
1: innocuous change to the bat. No one's going to be – like, that's no longer baseball.
0: Right up until someone realizes that more home runs are hit with axe handle bats.
1: Yeah, but after – Barry Bonds did his thing if no one's cared about <laughs> home runs, so MLB would secretly probably like there to be more home runs again.
0: Oh, certainly, <laughs> yes. But that's the thing, is that once they feel like it had, I mean, what if it's uh, it hits more triples? You know? Because like, <laughs> yeah. then it's having an outcome, like a real yeah. effect on the game. If it was nothing but it prevented batters from hurting their hands, then I think they would probably be like, yeah, it's no big deal. But if it has an outcome on who wins like the team using the axe bat handle is more likely to win. I just
1: I didn't look it up ahead of time. I wonder how deep the rules are about baseball bats and how – I'm sure they're pretty specific, but I wonder if they're specific enough to forbid the axe bat.
0: I don't think this is – I think they they mentioned very briefly in the article this isn't actually forbidden, but it's also – baseball players are really superstitious. So I think there's a – uh, kind of a cultural barrier there aside from just the rule book but
1: the, that could go the other way is the second someone succeeds with it it's like i'm never using anything but an axe yes
0: exactly yeah no if a guy who's had a crappy season accidentally grabs the axe bat and then he's out there and he's like well it's too late to switch now and then he hits a grand slam he's like i will take this bat home with me and sleep with it and we will shower together <laughs> <With> the- <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: escalated quick
0: <laughs> baseball players i'm telling you very superstitious. Yeah. So but here's
1: now a, I need to look up the there's a Malcolm in the Middle episode where uh Brian Cranston's character I can't remember their names other than Malcolm. Brian.
0: Walter White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Walter
1: White. He's bowling and like he hits a strike and then he gets really superstitious ah. and so he's like he did a certain like step on his way to releasing the ball I was and so throughout the episodes he keeps adding more and more superstitious <laughs> steps and so by the time they get back to him later in the episode he's like doing cartwheels and like <laughs> spinning around and unzipping and unzipping his jacket and like it's just absurd
0: yeah <laughs> but that's really not that far from believable I mean, I don't think baseball players are quite that weird, but I know that there's ones who, like, they always wear a certain pair of socks when they play a certain team. You know, I mean, stuff that granular and arguably impossible to have a real outcome other than psychological. But, you know, when we were talking about this yesterday, there was something I didn't consider when it came to sports technology, which is probably one of the least disputed pieces of sport technology, which is compression clothing. Like pretty much every sport allows compression clothing, which, I mean, it doesn't give you, it doesn't turn you into the Hulk, but I mean there's a measurable physiological advantage to wearing like a compression shirt, compression shorts, but I, I don't, I know of no. I mean, maybe there are rules against it, but I, I don't know of any. I mean, yeah. they allow it in everything from like weightlifting to football. Yeah, and you
1: also like with technology in sports. I think one of the reasons people like worldwide soccer is so um, loved. I'm going to step into dangerous territory because I, <laughs> I no. don't pay attention to soccer much. <laughs> uh, football, sorry, um, football. Is other than the fact that it's a low barrier to entry is exactly the point I'm making that you just need a ball and then agreed upon goals and you can play soccer. Yes, and your
0: goals can just be over there and over there.
1: So that's a low barrier to entry. So that's why it can be a worldwide sport in pretty much any climate and any situation. But when you have a, a sport that involves a lot of technology and when there's always advances in the equipment, you get to a who can it's sort of pay to win. Obviously, you still have to be (laughs) strong and talented, but if you can
0: afford better equipment... (laughs) Well, so here's my... To me, the opposite of soccer would be, technologically speaking, would be Formula One racing, because they have, like, no limits on the kinds of cool and crazy crap they can introduce, which is kind of awesome. It's like it's the sport of Innovate, engineers, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like the driver is obviously crucial, but the best driver in in A average <laughs> yeah, is is going to have absolutely no chance because it's and you could even argue that driving is is physically taxing as it is because you're going so fast. Mm -hmm. There's just G forces and lateral forces and all that stuff. The focus you have to have, right? Well, the focus exactly is there's a huge, huge mental element to formula one driving that there wouldn't necessarily be in a, a sport where physicality is more relevant. Like no matter how much I practice basketball, someone your height versus someone, my height has an automatic advantage You have longer reach. You can get closer to the rim on a layup or you can maybe dunk, whereas I probably can't because I don't have a 40-inch vertical, right? So it's like no matter how focused I am, I I just have like this physical limitation, whereas with Formula One racing, the car is the athlete and you are like the brain of the athlete when you're the driver. So I can almost imagine like a divide where – there are technology sports like Formula One and other sports enhanced by technology and then stuff like football, soccer, that is like all human. So you have like football, track and field, you know, things that are like entirely human – triumph of the human spirit make a ABC movie about it.
1: But even football, American football, <laughs> let's be clear <laughs> – has technology? There's the, the oh yes, all the gear you're wearing, the gloves, the what you're allowed to put on your hands, yep. the kind of shoes you have, the helmet, the football itself, and I was what you were saying earlier about the the baseball, the axe bat having an effect on scoring. I think that's in a team, in a competitive team sport like baseball or basketball or football, where you're competing, you're interacting with your opponent, not like track and field where it's just run fast, right. Or something. There's a little more to some of it. <laughs> no, that, that's all it is. <laughs> um, that offense-defense balance is crucial to the fun of the game. Like, and yeah, because one team just
0: blows the other team out. <laughs> yeah,
1: and like you know, if, if like the rules get so that quarterbacks can never be touched in the NFL, and so they they kind of just get you know the defense gets penalized every other second because of all these bad concussions that happen everywhere. <laughs> then it becomes an offensive game because it's too easy for the quarterback.
0: So do you think – can you imagine technology having a bigger role in a sport where it's less um, – the competition is less like head-to-head
1: like that? I think so because there's not as much of a offense – it's not a – the same kind of game balance. Because mm. if it's like, well, everyone can get a faster engine. Right. They just have to have funding. Yes. Then as long as you, the culture of your sport is okay with money being the – which probably is still true in every
0: single sport. Yeah. Money will
1: <laughs> – Yankees can buy their <laughs> victories, but <laughs>
0: – But not for a long time now.
1: <laughs> but as long as – yeah, like with Formula One where it's like, well – this isn't changing the dynamic of the competitive sport so
0: that it's now no longer interesting to watch. Right. Well, I feel like even... uh, Because the more I've I've thought about this since we talked about it yesterday, is the more I'm kind of thinking like there are such little things that we take for granted, like track and field. So you have like the 400-meter sprint, right? So that's once around the track, and that's it. So there's not really a whole lot you can do technologically, except all the stuff we take for granted, like spikes. Yeah. So if you have spikes that are as grippy as steel spikes, but are lighter weight, like that might make you perform better. So like, I don't know, like carbon nanotube spike track spikes, like that might make you perform better. Or if you have, um, a suit that, you know, like a track suit that is better, uh, on wicking wind and around you and moisture off of you like that might make you perform better. The material that the track is made out of might make you, I mean, granted that gives everybody an advantage, but you know, still like they're even in something changes
1: the race. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's, but I mean, I, until just this moment, I didn't really think of track cleats as sport technology, (laughs) but they totally are Yeah, like versus running in, uh, in regular flat shoes, or barefoot. It is a huge difference.
1: Mm hmm. I think where it gets hard, because even after we figure out, well, th- right now we've only been discussing technology that's external to the human
0: competing. Right. This is where the cool part
1: comes Yeah, out. and this is where my question is, that how will sports negotiate the transition to augmented humans? Or will they? Or will it just be like... Yeah, these are classic 20th century sports, and now here's a new generation of new sports.
0: Yeah. the So now the more I'm thinking of every little advance as sport technology, the harder I'm finding it to figure out where this will go. Because when it was, you know, well, it's a it's a man from a farm in Kansas, and he just swings that hunk of wood for the fences and knocks the ball out of the park like that – that seems like a really simple divide. Like you have human and you have bat, but it's not, right? Because he's wearing compression clothing, which is making his muscles contract harder. He's wearing. Um, you know, cleats that are helping him dig in his stance when he swings the bat. He's wearing using a bat that has an axe handle, so that it's uh, it's helping axe bat. Axe bat. We're giving this guy all this remarketing, but it so it, you know it's like every single little thing. Like he's wearing a baseball cap that's keeping the sun out of his eyes. He's wearing polarized glasses that are giving him a clear view, even though he's staring into the setting sun. Like. This is all technology that's enhancing his. He'll ability.
1: have a, but yeah, but when he has a HUD that says this pitcher throws a strike ninety nine percent of the time in this situation, right? And it's like real time analytics analyzing like yeah. swing at this one, <laughs>
0: dude. Go swing. Are you nah- allowed nah. to have
1: that information? <laughs> yeah.
0: So that's I. I would say. There will be a charismatic argument for why no, but I am having trouble thinking of a logical argument for why (laughs) no, because, okay, say you're my coach, right? And this pitcher comes up and then you come over and you say to me like, Hey, this guy, like he's known to throw, um, sinkers that look like fastballs. So just, You got to like really keep your eye on what's happening because his body posture looks the same for all of his pitches. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, is it any different than if that was just on the inside of my glasses? Like, it's really not. And the coach is just
1: empowered by more than a hunch of a coach.
0: (laughs) Well, but I mean, baseball in particular is like a statistics driven yeah. sport. Yeah. So I would say any halfway decent coach and player would be attempting to memorize that information anyway. You know, knowing the opposing players, yeah. knowing what they're capable of, knowing the field. It's already
1: part of the culture, or especially in football, watching the tape of the other team and looking at their patterns and their decision making.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I would have a hard time making an argument that is like, well, if that's projected onto the inside of your spectacles, that that's somehow different.
1: Yeah. Or software that analyzes the team earlier in that game and identifies, like, this guy's tired. You know, like, real-time, like, this, you should exploit this in the other team.
0: Yeah. See, and here's why I would have a hard time making a logical argument for this, because if you interviewed any, like, really good player, they would probably tell you that these are the kinds of things they're already doing. Yeah. Like, they're looking for...
1: They're already like, that's a mismatch, throw to him.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, this we know that this guy uh, is having a crappy day, or we know that that player is, you know, they got lousy sleep last night because they were nervous about this interview they had to do this morning, or whatever. Like, yeah. they're already, like, trying to hoard that sort of information, so... You know, I think the let the computer do it.
1: To to put words in this fictional person's mouth that would be charismatically <laughs> arguing against it. Um, I think the fear would be that you don't want to lose the human drama of a competitive sport because that's that's what gets people going. And yeah. so, they, I mean, this is obviously projecting and assuming <laughs> too much, but like that the technology would somehow take that away or yeah, reduce everything down to,
0: I think people probably would feel that way at first. But I think if the change was made, so basically, this has to be a, a profit center. So if the change is made against the, the emotional feeling of the public, I think they will get over it. And then eventually you would have you know, the, well in my day, no players had robotic faces, and then, and then that would you know that generation would eventually fade out, and that would kind of be the end of it.
1: Well, there's obviously going to be enthusiasts for the the tech augmented human sports. I think there will oh, be yeah. a huge audience. I'm one of them. So <laughs> that'll take off. The question is, will it be today's baseball evolving into that, or will it be goodbye baseball, new? New people younger people, <laughs> younger people watch this now,
0: yeah, and this this is where i i just i mean i'm not I don't follow sports very i I like sports, I enjoy them, but I don't follow them, so I am removed enough from sport fan culture that it's really hard for me to say either baseball will change into robot baseball or there will be. (laughs) So all the
1: eighties and nineties, Japanese baseball video games that want to be reality. Oh my
0: God. What was that one where it was the pink robots versus the blue robots?
1: There's base wars.
0: Oh, it might've been that like
1: you would, you'd, like slide in a second and then it would be like a street fighter battle suddenly. Well, that doesn't sound right. I don't know. <laughs> I'll could, think like, about Shoot the- and punch
0: the uh, other robot. We will put a link to base wars in the show notes. And if I can think of the game I'm thinking of, I'll add it in. So there.
1: some <laughs> other ones I can think of are there was baseball simulator 1000, which had like, uh, you could right. like throw three balls at once or a fireball or like, there's all these absurd pitches and uh, power ups. Yeah, but I love that it, it innovation in, in baseball games that no longer exists because everything's just stamped with MLB yep. and it's trying to be as realistic as possible. And I could not be more bored of baseball video games.
0: I used to play them all the time. It feels like most video games have become, or sports video games, have become like their franchise and that's yeah. it.
1: And then the occasional like NBA jam genre spinoff of like, this is extreme, but never like... <laughs> let's just twist this sport into a weird mix of genres or,
0: yeah, I don't, uh, I I think that was a very eighties, nineties futurism, just like how every TV show had like a wacky robot.
1: I think with the start of the Ken Griffey baseball in the nineties that started killing that of just like now everything's just franchise and
0: yeah. God damn it. Ken Griffey jr. It's (laughs) all your fault. (laughs) Because Nintendo owned oh, the Mariners. You know what? I think, you, I think Base Wars. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm looking at this cover art. <laughs> uh, I think this was it. I want more
1: <laughs> robot sport video games. <laughs> mutant League football. There's there's lots. Oh, of Mutant
0: League football and <laughs> Mutant League hockey. Oh man, I don't really care about hockey, but I did like playing Mutant League or hockey even with my Mega friend. Man
1: soccer for Super Nintendo. Yes. <laughs>
0: Well, even, like, the the Mario sport games, don't they usually have, like, power-ups and abilities? That's, like, the last bastion of this. Well, but, I mean, this is... So, the, <laughs> the 80s version of an all-robot league, that was too futuristic. But <laughs> the late 90s, early 2000s version of humans with superpowers, <laughs> which really brings us back to your point, is, like, you mentioned a HUD, but what about, like, bionic arms? Like, where's the line? If I have a prosthetic arm that simulates a human arm, is that okay? What if I have a prosthetic arm that's stronger than a human arm? What if
1: I'm a giant gorilla?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What if I'm a giant robot gorilla? Strong as two gorillas. Yeah, this... Now, just all I can think of is Blurns Ball in Futurama, where they have the human Blurns Ball League and then the robot Blurns Ball League, because it's just no question, but... The side note, the real commentary of that joke is that the Human Learns Ball League is performance-enhancing drugs required <laughs> because they had to level the playing field.
1: What did you think of Blitzball in Final Fantasy X? Uh,
0: see, Blitzball was interesting because— Is I, there a way to win that? Uh, yeah, but it's like it doesn't matter. Of course, it doesn't matter. But I mean, it's kind of like the opening play in the beginning of Final Fantasy IX. It's like, yeah, you can get a hundred percent audience participation, but it doesn't like affect the end game. So who cares? <laughs> um, but yeah, Blitzball was interesting to me because it was. I mean, it's soccer. Let's face it. It's well, that's actually it's like rugby. It's underwater. Yeah, it's underwater rugby. But aside from the fact that they never explain why everybody doesn't drown, it's. Uh, <laughs> I like the idea of. That like because it's basically it's just rugby. The technology is not special, but you have like that third dimension.
1: Also, was the f- the field basically a sphere? Yes. So it seems like sphere was the the motif of Final Fantasy X. Yes, that is definitely true.
0: That is not subtle imagery <laughs> yeah. in the slightest. That's how you powered up. There were spheres everywhere. We don't have to spoiler alert the, the story. Spoiler alert. It's a game like seven years old. <laughs> of, a, of a game about being in a dream. But. <laughs> a dream within a dream. So, yeah, but I mean, this is actually now making me think that what's more likely to happen is what you said. It's not that we are going to continually augment old sports, it's that we'll do a little bit of augmenting of old sports. Technology will lead to some new sports. Old sports will then panic. And allow a ton of technology to try and keep up and then sort of fade away. Or become unrecognizable. Like- yeah, they'll be so different it won't even be the same thing. Because, I mean, if you went to a kid in uh, some war-torn part of the world and you show them a modern soccer ball and modern soccer cleats and you know compression shorts and you give them Gatorade and they have all this sophisticated training equipment, they would be like, that's not football. Football is this poorly inflated ball in this dusty field. Or like
1: rubber bands around a million plastic bags. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, even that is, it's still the same sport, but it would be hard to recognize for all the technological differences leading where, where, up to the game. Where's the ref the
1: tracking invisible amounts of time at the end before you tie? <laughs>
0: <laughs> God, that's got to be one of the weirdest parts about soccer. I'm sure if you're a big soccer fan, that makes total sense. But, so, the whole tying okay. thing, I
1: finally heard an explanation. Did I already talk about this on another episode? Right, an, go expl- for it. an explanation that actually finally made sense was that most of the World Cup, before you get to the near the end, is sort of like other sports regular season.
0: Ah, uh, yes.
1: So, the fact that you can tie or lose a game and still advance. The Broncos can lose the last game of the regular season and still go to to the Super Bowl. Right. So that makes sense, sort of, (laughs) but it's it's still kind of weird because it's still a tournament that happens once every four years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's the problem might be in the the nomenclature because we're calling it a tournament when really it's its own little separate season. Yeah. Because something I didn't realize before this World Cup is that a lot of players play wherever in the world they want to play, but then in the World Cup, you play for your nation.
1: So that's why the U.S. always loses, even though we have <laughs> tons of great players every other time.
0: Yeah, and that's I—I I had no idea that that was a uh, a part of it. And it's kind of interesting because it is this like unifying event, and yet at the same time, it is built on cultural boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> it you know what it is it's um it's uh it's like a civilized form of war like we, yeah. it's it's we've taken the the nation building of war and removed like the killing and the conquering and just called it the world cup well sometimes remove the
1: killing, the fans get a little crazy they,
0: yeah that can't happen <laughs> that's sad. But this is – so I am – And there's
1: horns to the (laughs) Vuvuzelas.
0: Oh, God, the Vuvuzelas. Which I think they banned this time specifically because of how horrible they are. And it's not like you could do that clandestinely. Yeah. (laughs) If you're using a Vuvuzela, everyone everywhere knows it.
1: I totally found that Malcolm in the Middle clip. I'm going to include it. Yes.
0: And I'm actually including some stuff about Base Wars because it's awesome. And it was a NES game. I thought it was a Super NES game. Nintendo
1: old school that's when all the the play with the nature of sport was
0: happening in True. video games so but this is a, I, I hate to say it, but this this conversation is kind of like an i don't i don't know what's going to happen <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>? <laughs> i mean we could draw old tim allen <laughs> <on improvement. laughs> we could draw, draw on, on history for how we've seen uh, s- technology impact sports but i think Culture and technology are now changing so, so much faster than they have historically that it's difficult to use those changes to predict future changes, especially because sports are, at the heart of it, two things. They are things that people do for fun, and then they're a huge moneymaker. maker. And if technology drives the huge money maker, it's not like people are gonna say, "Oh, we can't change the sport." No, because, don't pay me to yeah, play that. No. Yeah, it's it <laughs> will change it. <laughs> if that's where the money goes. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason we have several different types of racing because we have the Formula One, which is money, 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 money wins the day. <laughs> and then we have NASCAR, which is like kind of in the middle, but there's rules to what you can do to a NASCAR. Like there are very real limits to how souped up a NASCAR can be. Mm-hmm. And then you have at the opposite end of the spectrum, you have like track and field, which there's still technology involved. But at the end of the day, you have humans start there, human go like, there, human who gets there first It's
1: like 90, 90 to 95% the human.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean you – no no track shoes that currently exist in this universe are going to allow me to beat Usain Bolt in a foot race, even if he's barefoot and probably running on rocks. <laughs> like I just – I don't think I could take enough of him out of the equation without like tying him to the ground <laughs> like Snidely Whiplash style. That's yeah. going to allow me to win. He's so, asleep. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't know we're racing. <laughs> yeah. Even then, he would probably be like, hey, we're racing," and then just like run past me.
1: <laughs> that guy just run by me, I'm going to beat him.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's I, – I I, don't know. I'm kind of – I want to see technology sports though. That is where I'm at. Like I want base wars. I would watch the crap out of that. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Last Last thought about this. Do you think robot sports would be more acceptable – if they were being controlled by humans.
1: So, yeah, what was the StarCraft then? (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) But, I mean, just imagine, like, football, there's a lot of concern about football constantly getting um, ruled up because it's really dangerous. Like, it's a really, it turns out it's dangerous to ram into another person repeatedly for, like, two decades. Go figure. So...
1: Running backs don't make it two decades. <laughs> okay. They get hit every single play, and they 10 years is great.
0: Yeah, so that's 10 years is a short career by... Yeah, early
1: me. 30s, you're just broken.
0: Yeah, so would you watch a sport that all of the robotic players were being controlled by, like, virtual reality humans?
1: Yeah, it just wouldn't be... It'd be a new sport, even if it has sure. the rules of football. It's just... It's something else, but... I'm sure if they did it well, robots were – I mean the robots would have the personality of the humans because they would paint them and they would right. make them do things. and <laughs>
0: Terrible things. <laughs> but I, just, I think that would be interesting. Like I think not only would that be interesting, but I think that would be an interesting compromise. Well, this will happen. Do you think? I mean for sure. Like you think this will definitely be a thing?
1: When robots – I guess we
0: did already have the robot – Battle thing
1: like game comedy game shows. Yeah, you
0: remember where you like made them fight to the death. Yeah.
1: No, this will be a thing. The the more accessible that robotics gets to more and more people, there's going to be robot wars.
0: I want to. Yeah, it, actually, that was the name of the show, Robot Wars. <laughs> I I'm, I think this would be there an will interesting, be robot blood. <laughs> I think this would be an interesting compromise, but at the same time. This really exacerbates the draw between, like, well, is it a human sport or is it a, a, a technology sport? So I don't know. I am. I, I am big
1: like, pentameter.
0: <laughs> yes. That is. You caught me. That's what I was going to say. But I, I can't. I I've, I'm prediction powerless here. Like I got I got nothing. Right, someone just tell me or just do it and then show me.
1: All right, well, let's just pivot to the next topic.
0: All San Francisco startups. So, th- this one you you shared this this with me, this this penmanship video. So, tell our listeners, we're going to link to this in the show notes, this this TED Talk. So, this was
1: a TEDx talk. <laughs> it's like assistant to the regional manager. That's right. <laughs>
0: important difference god damn it
1: <laughs> um basically this was a ted talk about handwriting i think the link was already in there no i just moved
0: it oh okay i, I ordered them chronologically based I, on our discussion i
1: shouldn't comment about our google doc dude. No, this is private no one sees it <laughs> um so i don't remember the fellow's name but he was giving a talk about basically another lamenting that we're getting rid of handwriting and school curriculum and penmanship um And so he was just talking about the benefits of penmanship, that it engages you on these different levels. Like there's cognitive research that writing and forcing your hand to form individual letters helps with your literacy, helps with your reasoning, helps with your connection to history because we have thousands of years of handwritten stuff.
0: And your argument, his argument that you're restating (laughs) has already fallen apart for me (laughs) because here's the thing. This this video, it's very sweet. Like, you can tell the guy's really nervous, but he gives a very nice talk, and it's interesting, and he has great imagery. And but his, his art is great. Yes. Exact art is the right <laughs> word. Because, yes, there is research that indicates that writing something by hand is different than typing it because of how your brain processes forming the letters and forming those letters into words and all like that. There. Fine. Full stop. But. But. <laughs> What he's really advocating for over the course of this video is craftsmanship and art and mindfulness, none of which is owned exclusively by the pen, particularly when you realize the second half of his video is about woodworking, not penmanship. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: what gets me about it is the keyboard is one input device. Computers, there are dozens Yes. Dozens of us. But <laughs> we are legion. As time goes on, there's gonna be more and more natural <laughs> natural interfaces for computing. And we I mean we're already getting better and better touch response on things, styluses, whatever. But styli. Styli. And I d I don't know, he kinda had it was kind of this this tunnel vision of like yeah, just typing is built for the purpose of really quickly, efficiently putting words together of someone who already understands the language. Yeah, which, it's not meant to be a gauntlet. It's not like the the workout routine of word forming. Right. Like, and, of course, running miles every day will train you up better than driving your car. But I still <laughs> yes. like having a car.
0: Right. And I think the the real disconnect comes from he's arguing. Well, the, one of the first points he makes is that you have this better attachment to what mentally to what you're writing if you – excuse me. If you write it by hand than if you type it. OK. But is your uh, – is that your objective? Like when he starts talking about like the craft of penmanship and I mean he literally makes his own pens and then the craft of calligraphy. It's like, yeah, but your objective now is no longer to have a written – record of words. Your objective now is to create an art piece.
1: Which, that is one acceptable form. There's also graphic design on computers. Yes. That is just as wide and deep and far as any other.
0: And you can do, you can design something in a three-dimensional space that you can only simulate on a physical piece of paper, which probably led him to branch into woodworking. So he could design physical objects that had depth. Something the pen couldn't do. It could only simulate.
1: And guess what? 3D printing.
0: Yeah. jeez. Oh, but I mean, this is like his, I absolutely 100% agree with the argument he accidentally made about how like craftsmanship. It's a backhanded couple. It's so, it's a, no, it's a dig at, he argued the wrong thing. His argument should have been about how penmanship can give anyone this easily accessible craft right? Anyone can pick up a pen or a pencil and sit down and perfect their handwriting. The barrier to entry is incredibly low. I mean, it's the soccer of crafts, right? You don't need expensive woods and marbles and paints. You can just sit down at any old piece of paper with any old pen or pencil and start to work on your craft. And then you can improve your tools as your ability improves. Mm -hmm. That to me is a valid argument because the stuff he produces is absolutely gorgeous and he showed other other pen stuff that's absolutely gorgeous and his, later his woodworking was absolutely gorgeous. But it's like if I asked him to write me like, oh, could you just jot down what you need me to get you at the store? And he's like, well, first I have to chop down a tree and craft <laughs> it into the perfect pen and then – then I have to craft that perfect pen into this document that it'll have beautiful flowing. And well, he lines. made a crack
1: at some point about how you drop your laptop in a river and it, like it's destroyed.
0: Yeah, but a pen, would, uh, a fountain pen, also doesn't work underwater. Well, yeah, all,
1: that's what I was going to say. <laughs> is every single one of his amazing pens, if it was dropped in water, immediately will not function?
0: Yes, which he <laughs> oddly says he was like you can drop it in w-. he has a pen obviously He holds it up and he's like you can drop it in water and i just want to be like and it would stop working <laughs> like you would then have inky water and a broken pen i mean yes they make waterproof pens but not fountain pens yeah fountain pens by definition have to work under pressure to expel ink in a fountain like you know, yeah. lotion like that's why they're called fountain pens that's why they invented the ballpoint pen because yeah. fountain pens are sloppy and difficult to use. <laughs> uh, uh, this is I, I was so frustrated the whole time I was watching this because I wanted him to make the better cultural argument, <laughs> not the stupid teach 10-year-old's cursive because that's <laughs> such a dumb lazy argument.
1: Owen <laughs> well, like is the classic thing of, like, we have this one time-honored way of meeting these cognitive development needs. Great. I'm glad that forcing yourself to write letters is one way to do that. Yes. Should we no longer look for other ways?
0: No. And this is actually – this, to me, is really the big hole in his argument is, yes, you get a cognitive benefit from writing by hand that you don't get from typing. But – is the cognitive benefit so great and so um, unduplicatable through other activities that it's worth the deficiency of how slow and sloppy handwriting is? So, and I, <clears throat> I get it. Some people have really nice handwriting, and anyone can improve their handwriting. But if I need to communicate written information, I could just type it. And then, yeah. if I want to practice a craft like penmanship, I can practice that craft. But I don't see why the two should overlap. When he also talked
1: about handwriting as identity, and there that, that was a great comment on YouTube. You heard it here first. Yes,
0: I was blown away. It <laughs> was a great comment. By that, that phrase we, being speakable in the universe. We've
1: only had the technology to really do anything with fingerprints for, like I think, 150 years or yeah, something. Not long. If we had known thousands of years ago had a way to use fingerprints, when would we have required signatures
0: yes we would not have in fact you can see the tremendous flaw in signature as identity everywhere because there's a like if we keep trying to digitize them yeah (laughs) if you've ever watched like old looney tunes or any old like cartoon movie there's always the joke of like the idiot god it's even in the blues brothers jake signs his name with an x yeah Yeah, that's not – for those of you who don't know your history, that's not a joke. That is a legally binding way for an illiterate person to sign a contract, which means – (laughs) what? I mean so like if I walk into a room where there is only me and the other party signing the contract and they write an X – how is that any different from me just writing an X and saying the other person wrote it? I have, it's, it's now just yeah. a he shed, she's second, no evidence. Is this why
1: at restaurants I can just like scribble the most insane marking and they, it's, that's my signature.
0: Yeah. It's totally worthless. I, like i sh- make
1: an M and then it's just, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yes.
0: I mean, you, you're married. I'm sure at one point or another you have used like Shelby's credit card or she's used yours. Yeah. Did they stop you? <laughs> did you get a note from the credit card agency saying, hey, Mike, why did you sign your name on Shelby's card? No, they don't care. Nobody cares. I mean, this is why Europe and Asia have all gone to the chip and pin model in credit cards, because the signature is pointless and stupid.
1: So this is amazing, because I was just reading this morning more stupid iPhone rumors. <laughs> I I really want Apple to, ironic quotes, invent NFC so that it can finally be everywhere in America, because yes. other countries are getting pretty far along with it.
0: Yeah, well, Or at least chip
1: and pin, maybe not always NFC, but it's sort right. of hand-in-hand.
0: Hand. Yeah, they, they can work together really well. But, I mean, chip and pin, if you've, if you've never traveled overseas or, or talked to anyone who lives overseas, chip and pin is basically where a credit card functions exactly like a debit card. You need the physical card, which has the chip, and then you need the pin number, which is in your brain. Yeah. So you have basically two-factor auth on your credit card. Yeah. Whereas in America, I could find somebody's lost wallet, take out their credit card, and then go buy a car. As yeah, <laughs> yeah. As you know, long as
1: you know their zip code, it's sort of a, 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 a crappy two-factor.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, I so I've I worked at Blockbuster for a long time, which I'm pretty sure I've lamented on the show before. But that was one of my pedestrian jobs as a young man. Pedestrian. And Every once in a while, I would get a customer who would go to pay with their credit card and I would swipe it and they would say, Oh, it says to please check ID on the back. And I would look and I'd be like, You're right, it does. And then I would hand them back their credit card. And they'd be like, Well, aren't you going to check my ID? No, <laughs> because it, you could have a fake ID because the fact that the name on the card and the name on your ID are the same means nothing. There's no picture on your card. There are lots of John Smiths. Yeah. I mean, th- that doesn't add any additional. I mean, I would, I would stand there and fight with them. I would just look at their driver's license. But I mean, it didn't like I didn't feel like, oh, thank God I checked it. Like I used to write please check ID. <laughs> the, on the guy ra-
1: asking you to check it is not. <laughs> yeah. It's a con man.
0: Yeah. It that doesn't. That's well, just
1: him being nervous. <laughs> unless he's like the Joker. He's gonna... <laughs> yeah. So I, I. Or Billy Bob Thornton in Fargo.
0: Or Billy Bob Thornton in Fargo, which I don't remember him coming in
1: the TV series.
0: Oh well, sorry.
1: The reason I bring him up is because <laughs> he he loved being evil so much he would do stupid things just to abandon whatever he was doing because it was fun. Ah, so so like, he's like the joke. <laughs> so minor spoiler: he spends like six months assuming a new identity and getting in with certain people because he's gonna he's like a hitman sort of. Okay, or, yeah, um, but when Martin Freeman's character tracks him down and interrupts him in an elevator with them and was, and ruins his whole gig, he just kills the people he was spent six months trying to con immediately to go back to doing silly evil stuff and it's just like he just pushes not, he, the reset button he he ain't even mad like well he's like you just you just ruined six months of me conning these people and they're in the elevator like freaking out and then he just shoots them Jesus. and it's just like he doesn't even care he's like this is more fun being evil it's more fun
0: i have a hard time <laughs> believing that that constitutes a minor spoiler <laughs> It sounded like how dark is this show that that description was just like an off point.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of a spoiler, but it's it's just more to his character that he is basically the devil in that show.
0: That's okay. I mean, he is Billy Bob Thornton is a believable kind of devil character. Yeah, but so I I mean, where do you stand? How did in this? we get here? <laughs> Pen's signatures. <laughs> the devil. <laughs> the devil. <laughs> so y- you you do some graphic stuff. You make Muzak. So with a z a c. So <laughs> how how do you where do you fall on this? Like, do you think he was advocating for craftsmanship? Do you think craftsmanship is important? Are we not teaching that to children?
1: Craftsmanship is important. Like people doing good work and taking pride in it and. Being good at it is always important. It's just not located only when penmanship
0: <laughs> do you how's your handwriting terrible chicken scratch yeah okay you are you right handed Yes, okay, so th- I had to say the second this started and I saw him because i'm left handed and I saw him hold up a fountain pen. Way, way deep inside of me, there was this little, like, visceral response (laughs) to, like, oh, yeah, you think fountain pens are awesome because you're right-handed, asshole. (laughs) Like, Like, I've written with fountain pens a couple of times, and it's hard. And I actually I, – I write distinctly different when I hold a pen where I actually float my hand over the paper. And you can tell if I wrote something with a pen, my handwriting looks a little different because when I write with a pencil, I rest my hand on the page, which is bad because then you do like these small – he mentions it. You do like small motor movements which tire your hand. And you get tons of crap on your hand. <laughs> well, that's the thing is with a pencil, you can get away with that because I have my hand down – on the page, and below what I'm writing. Whereas with a pen, you would end up dragging this smear, not from your hand, but from the pen tip.
1: I'm getting flashbacks to grade school.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, that I had to learn basically two different skills. Like, I have pen writing and I have pencil writing, which is why you'll almost never see me write with a pen, because I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can do it. Like, I didn't use left-handed ledgers or anything when I was a kid. I just managed. But it's like to see someone talk about calligraphy, like, oh, it's calligraphy. I'm like, yeah, you know, there's like a whole second skill you have to learn when you're left-handed.
1: I don't know, like, I just imagine, like, if we discovered that a weird form of inclined handstand push-ups <laughs> that are really difficult to learn how to do and balance are a great way to build up your upper body strength. Yes. And we decided to stop exploring other exercises because this we is a, the one, like children really like this is an amazing way to make like it's good to be strong. Right. Am yeah. I right? And, and you see him in his gym doing these amazing weird <laughs> handstand push-ups. That's how I feel about it. Like, great. There are cognitive benefits to doing all sorts of crazy things in a very difficult way because you're making your brain work. Yeah. Can we find other ways to do this?
0: Yeah. In a way that'll be useful beyond the at the moment cognitive load. Right. And I'm, I'm very much a, a tool for the job person. The longer I've spent with computers, the more I've fallen into the Unix philosophy of like, I, I want one tool that does everything because it's just easier. Like I want the doctor's sonic screwdriver from doctor who, cause it just does everything. It's freaking magic. But
1: that never is true. In exactly. <laughs> it
0: never actually works because it's magic so, until I have like a magic wand or a sonic screwdriver, I would rather just use the right tool for the job. And I think your ridiculous hyperbolic example is a great one because doing one handed push ups inverted would make you very strong. Not your legs though. So, you'd have to have at least one other thing. Yeah. And, and then it just falls all apart.
1: And that's the thing is, yeah, there's compromise to everything. And,. I think that's why the sonic magic tool will never (laughs) exist, because tools inherently have decisions made into their shape and and the way they function. Because, I mean, that's why a wrench can do one thing really well. It's not a great hammer. Yeah, you can bash it on things, (laughs) and if it's a strong metal, you'll get away with it, but
0: it's not the best tool for that. It's really not. I have actually driven a few nails with the butt of a screwdriver, and that is just asking for trouble. Because
1: a lot, a lot of them are rounded, so yeah, <laughs> it slips off.
0: Your hand's right there; you can't really like communicate the power effectively. Th- that
1: quiet frustration that rises in you <laughs> that you can't get a solid hit, yeah. and you're just kind of like,
0: ah. yeah, yeah. That's like you know what? Um, they weren't nails; they were uh, they were um, the little connecting things in Ikea furniture like the little wooden dowels and it basically came down to I know I can drive one of these wooden dowels with the handle of the screwdriver and my hammer is over there (laughs) so I'm just gonna use the handle of the screwdriver (laughs) but I mean immediately even though you have a hole that this is designed to fit into it still doesn't really work that well so if you had to drive an actual nail then it would completely fall apart and that's how I feel about this entire pen argument is like Yes, pens are really good for certain things, and they really suck at other things. Like, you cannot handwrite in calligraphy 150 words a minute. You just can't. You're doing it wrong if you can. No one can. No human can move that I know, fast. I that's what I mean. The Usain Bolt, holding a pen in his feet, <laughs> could not write with calligraphy at 150 words a minute. And I still, even if you could, I would still say it's not, not... Good enough, because you still give up all the other things, like the digitization of it all. Yeah. Ugh. So I I think everyone should, if you're listening to this, if you are within the sound of my voice, <laughs> I think you should check out this video, because he makes... But just don't listen to his crap about pens. What he's actually making is this brilliant argument for mindfulness and craftsmanship. And that I give a thumbs up to. We, we found
1: a way to set the table back up.
0: <laughs> we did. Because I, I believe in what he's accidentally arguing for so i'm i'm flipping the table over his flubbing of a very valid and important argument
1: but then it lands on the other side of him and then like all the dishes land perfectly yes
0: <laughs> ta da <laughs> So, Mike, where can people find you on the internet?
1: (laughs) At M Edwards Music on Twitter or pseudomichael.com.
0: And I think if Twitter keeps its crap up, we're going to have to drop our Twitter handles from where people can find us. (laughs) They're really They're trying so hard to drive people away. It's sad.
1: And also follow Flipping Tables on Twitter. It's flipping underscore tables.
0: It is. And I think all of our social social stuff linked on flippingtablespodcast.com? Yes. Okay, good. So if you can't remember it for some yeah, reason, yeah, just
1: scroll down, yeah. you'll find it.
0: So people can find me at Lions in Beta on Twitter, lionsinbeta.com or plus David lions on Google Plus where I'm spending Google Plus. I still like it. I know it's not for everybody. I like the software. That's yeah. <laughs> it's I get but I get very different things out of Google Plus than I get out of Twitter. And since I've pretty much entirely given up on Facebook, I've Google plus has become what Facebook used to be for me, not for everybody else, but I didn't use Facebook. I never played like mafia wars or Farmville or any of that crap. Progress bar of the game. (gasps) Where can people find these show notes? People can find these show notes at flipping dot com slash zero two seven for episode 27. Yep. And I think the, I'm, I'm curious if anybody uh, wants to follow up about this Ted talk, like, I mean definitely the sports stuff cuz that's like an endless conversation of robots since it's futurology. Yeah. But um I'm particularly interested in in the penmanship craftsmanship thing.
1: So let us know what you think.
0: Do. And yeah. I think we ha- there's a special surprise coming later this yep, week. Yep,
1: later this week.
0: Yeah, so keep your eyeballs peeled on the the YouTube feed and the RSS and the Twitter feeds and all that stuff.
1: Yep. See you guys soon.